0: Welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is Saturday, April 8th, 2023. Wow. My name is Dottie and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater from the state of New Jersey. I will be your host for today's study and our co-hosts are the people on the screen that I can't remember their names. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. The chat chat function will be disabled until five minutes before the questions and answers session. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answers session will, which follows will not be recorded. We ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you're exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. During the meeting, we'll post the link to our Seven Tradition. This money goes toward the cost of our Zoom account, the cost of uploading our recordings, and we also send contributions to our intergroup and, and we're World Service Organization. We will post a link to the previous week's recordings. These are available by clicking on the link that will be posted in the chat box. And I will now turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Thanks, Harley. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Dottie. I certainly appreciate your service this morning and to all the people who make this meeting possible with the website, the maintenance of the podcast, the PodBeam, the ScottsdaleBigbook.com, all the things that go into this, which I have no knowledge of whatsoever. Thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you. I so appreciate your service. Um I was notified not long ago that ten thousand, like five hundred people, listened to these podcasts in the last three hundred and sixty-five days, and I was just blown away. So thank you for touching my heart this morning by attending, and I certainly appreciate all the people who do listen on the podcast. It's very, very touching, and I really appreciate it. We have been discussing the promises of the program. And there's promises all through this book. There are promises from one end of this book to the other. But we do have these promises between steps nine and 10. And the reason that we have such beautiful gift laden promises between steps nine and 10 is this is at that period of time in our step work that a spiritual awakening most often will take place. As we start to move forward in our program of recovery and we start to make these amends and we start to fulfill the promise of God and the promise of God in this program is not necessarily uh, one thing that we have in mind when we come in or another thing that we have in mind when we come in, but it often is the totality of all those things that we wish were true in our lives, becoming a person who is a part of life, becoming a person who is not filled with self-loathing, becoming a person who grips life, who grabs for life, who wants to live more than they want to die, who sees a purpose for their life. And the word sanity in step two is so vital because the word sobriety or the word abstinence has such a lower ceiling to it than the word sanity. Sanity means that in all areas of my life, I will be acting in accordance with God's will, and I will act in a way like a person that has a complete brain rather than a brain that is addled with the food. So the brain in my head that is addled with that food is not able to function in a world that is sane. Once that food gets in me and that allergy gets triggered, my brain and my body conspire not only to kill me, killing me wouldn't be the worst thing. It's they choke me off from life. They choke me off from any aspirations and dreams ever being able to come true. And so for me, this word sanity is so very, very important. All right, let's go to the heart of the matter today. We are on page 84 and we are gonna pick it up with that feeling of uselessness, let me make sure I'm correct. Yes, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. And let's talk about that for a while. Now, I did not have as much a feeling of uselessness as I had the feeling of self-pity. And in my tempestuous ego's uh, desire to kill me, I often will lapse into self-pity even now and I will feel sorry for myself and the way that I feel sorry for myself or my entrance ramp onto the highway of self-pity always is through the same entrance ramp and that is compare and despair. When I start to compare myself financially, romantically or any way that I will do that, with my friends or with other people in my life. What happens is I always come out on the short end of the stick. And what happens to me when I engage in self-pity is that I forget the beautiful things about my life. Like, duh, I'm still alive. Doctors have been writing my death warrant from the time I was a teenager. I've shared this before, I'll share it again today. I was 17 years old and I broke my ankle in a gym class at Mather High School. And I was, my mother, my mother didn't drive a car, but we went together. My dad was working, but my mom and I went to the hospital and Uh, they had to put a cast on my ankle. And this is going back now to 1971. I graduated high school in 72 from Mather in Chicago. But this is 1971. And in 1971, the doctors still did the casts. Today, if you need a cast, the doctor doesn't do it. A nurse does it or something like that. The the doctor isn't going to sit there and cast your leg. But this is when they still did it. And we were sitting there in the emergency room and he was putting a cast on my ankle and he looked at my mother through the top of his glasses. If you remember, this is 1971, those little granny glasses that were so popular and he had a pair of those bifocal granny glasses and he looked over the top and he screamed at my mother. I can hear him doing it now. He said, Virginia. He is over, and he pointed at me, he is over 300 pounds. He is 17 years old. And he he was on one of those little chairs with wheels. And he wheeled himself closer to my mother, whipped off his glasses and said, how long do you think he's going to live? And my mother burst into tears. And he was screaming at me and screaming at my mother. And it was just really quite a scene. It was quite a scene in that emergency room at Edgewater Hospital. Edgewater Hospital is condos now, but it was a hospital then. You'll have to trust me. So anyway, doctors have been been signing my death warrant for a very, very long time. And so when I compare and I despair and I look at people that are close to me or not even that close to me, but I look at other people and I start to compare myself to their life, I always come out on the short stick for another reason. I compare when I'm not feeling well, when I'm not feeling recovered, when I'm not feeling strong. So what I'm essentially doing is I am forgetting the fact that no matter who you are, No matter how short, how tall, how white, how black, how gay, how straight, how whatever it is you are, whatever religion, whatever walk of life you are, I forget in those moments that every single person on the face of this earth, no matter what the situation, no matter what their station in life, is dealing with something that is excruciatingly painful and difficult for them. I forget that. And the other thing that I forget is, and this is something I try to do every single day, I try to think of things I am grateful for, like I'm alive and there are Hundreds of people that are here this morning, listening to this big book study, and that we are together. And I have a proven workable way of life. I have a proven workable method by which I can live my life. And I have a situation in my life that is fantastic. I couldn't be more grateful for this. Something I've dreamed about is come to fruition. And so there are things in my life that are quite enviable and things in my life that are fantastic. Thank you, God but I compare and I despair and I love self-pity. Oh, you've heard me talk about Almond Joy and M&Ms with peanuts and Doritos. And I loved all of those things in the moment, but nothing gets me higher than self-pity. I love self-pity. Oh my God, if you could bottle self-pity, you'd knock heroin and cocaine and fentanyl and marijuana and liquor you'd knock them right off the market oh my god if you could just bottle some self-pity and call it whatever harlan's instant self-pity oh my god they'd be lined up around the block because this is a drug that not only i but so many of us get off on and i love it Oh, it makes me feel like I have victimitis and oh my God, this and oh, poor me, poor me. You know, in AA, they have an expression, poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. Poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. Well, I have to wage war on that by holding God's hand and looking at things every day that I'm grateful for. And I have to invite God into my life. Now, I hear from people all the time that say to me, these promises are not coming true in my life. Well, to them, I say this. And if you are one of them, I have said this to you. What action have I taken today, have you taken today, or I've taken today, that will ward off the negativity in your life? In other words, who did you help today? Who did you reach out to today that could use a phone call? Who did you reach out to today? Hold on one second. (laughs) I've got the door and the windows open. And there's a lot of good things about that because it's absolutely beautiful in Scottsdale today but that means Mr. and Mrs. Pollen are getting in the door too. So you're going to have to just roll with me here because I'm, I'm suffering from my seasonal allergies. When the heat ratchets up a bit, it does abate. But for right now, and I'm not crying. Those are just tears coming out of my eyes because the back of my eyes itch like crazy. And they have a tendency to tear when I'm having a seasonal allergy attack. So I'm not crying. I'm really not. I know I can see it looks like I'm crying. I'm really not. I'm really not. Okay. So the bottom line is, is that that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will pervade into my life. Why? Because the ego wants me to feel that. The ego has three jobs. Make me right. Make me feel good right now. I want to feel good now. I want what I want. I want it now or I want everybody dead. And the third job that the ego has is make me different from everybody else. So of the 126 people that are here right now, 125, there are people out there that I could compare and despair with, not not remembering that you didn't come in here on a roll. You didn't wake up in the morning and shake off sleep, and get up and say, wow, my life is fantastic. My life is a dream come true. I have more money than I'll ever spend. I have the perfect relationships in my life. Things are fantastic. Don't have a care in the world. I think I'll go join OA. Nobody does that. Nobody says that. We come in here at the at the at the behest of pain and suffering and humiliation. We don't come in here on a roll, we come in here usually crawling. You know, I've been a believer. You you guys, most of you, some of you have, but most of you have never been in a live meeting with me. And in in the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club, there are Dutch doors. On one of the doors into the room that we met in. If you don't know what a Dutch door is, it's very, if you remember back Lassie and Timmy, Lassie, the Lassie show, the top and the bottom of the door open and close independently of one another. So I would say this. If you want to have people retain more in more of a retention, if you want to have people retain more, I'm ashamed of that sentence. I'm sorry. If you want to increase the retention in OA, that's better. Now my college professors are proud of me. If you want to increase retention in Overeaters Anonymous, you need to nail the top door shut so that you have to crawl in to come into the rooms of OA because each and every one of us must crawl in here or we probably will not stay. You need to be beaten down by this disease. I wish that wasn't the case, but the ego is generally not going to surrender to anything but the most unbelievable amounts of pressure from pain and suffering and humiliation. That's just a fact. So that feeling of uselessness that feeling of uselessness and self-pity are things that come from my ego that come from my situation of not being grateful enough and comparing and despairing yes there are things i don't have oh i wish i had the lottery numbers for tonight oh i wish i had i wish i had a hammer i'd hammer in the morning i'd hammer in the evening i'd hammer all over this land But if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably young because in the 60s, it was a song by Peter, Paul and Mary called If I Had a Hammer. So if you're not laughing right now, you're probably young, but that's okay. We won't hold that against you. So anyway, the bottom line is, is that that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will only disappear, will only disappear if I take action And it is only through action that these feelings of uselessness and self-pity will abate. I wouldn't necessarily to me say, I wouldn't necessarily to me say, I wouldn't necessarily say to myself, that's better. I think it's the allergies or it's something. I don't know. I forgot how to speak English. But anyway, I wouldn't necessarily say that the feelings of uselessness and self-pity will abate for longer than a day because I need to take action every single day. And the action that I take is in 10, 11, and 12. Now, if you're not at step 10, 11 and 12, here are some helpful things that makes me feel better when I'm not in those 10, 11 and 12 steps. Number one, when they need something read at a meeting, because a lot of you are just coming to Zoom meetings, you're not going to face to face meetings. So if you're at a Zoom meeting, and they need somebody to read the steps, say I'll read them. If they need somebody to read the traditions, I'll read them. They, you know, whatever it is they need to do, they need a timer, be the timer. Do whatever you need to do. Here are some other things I can do to make that feeling of uselessness and self pity uh, go to the background. I can call a newcomer, I can call someone who's not a newcomer, but is struggling. I can just call a fellow member out of the blue and say, Hi, I'm Harlan, and I'm making an outreach call. How are you? How are you? And take an interest in them. Don't call them and then go on a diarrhea-laden diatribe of what you're going through or what's going on with you. Don't try to avoid that. Try to take an interest for just a minute, two minutes. We're talking about a two minute, three minute phone call in somebody else besides yourself. And in doing so, you will find that these feelings of uselessness and self pity will not disappear necessarily, but they will temporarily disappear. Everything here is tenuous. Why is it tenuous? Because the ego. Is resurgent beyond the imagination. If every part of my body was as resurgent and strong as my ego, I would live to be 20,000 years old. But li- li- uh, literally, the ego is important, there's no question that it's important, but there is a part of it that is going to try to kill you. You have a disease of the mind, you have a disease of the body, and you have to constantly, constantly do the work necessary so that you will have this freedom. I have to do it. I'm just as human as you. I compare in despair. I get into bouts of self-pity. Now, I have to say this. I haven't had a feeling of uselessness in many, many, many years. And there's only one thing I can say that really helps me is that each and every one of you who calls me or comes to these meetings helps me fend off any feeling of uselessness that I may have. I realize that my story, your story, your experiences, and your situation is vital to the greater good of humanity. It is very, very important. So anytime I feel useless, which doesn't really happen to me for a long, long time, I remember page 124. And if you want to take a little trip with me to page 124, fine. If not, you can just listen because I want to read something to you about you. And this is written about you. It says on the, in the middle of page 124, and I read this every day, okay? This painful past may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problem. Let's stop right there for just a minute. Anytime I feel useless I have to remember that there is overwhelming evidence that the fact that I could not function as a man I could not fit in a car I couldn't get in a car I couldn't get out of a car I couldn't wear clothes that came from a normal store I'm not crying I'm not crying I'm just tearing up because of my allergies but Anytime I get that feeling that says I can't, you know, I can't uh, get clothes from a normal store, whatever it is, I remember that that history of mine of compulsive overeating and the times that I was humiliated in public by people that I did not know and that I was an object of ridicule. Anytime I think back on that, I remember that that helps God save lives through me, that I have told those stories. I have told those stories to men and women that were at my end of the spectrum of this disease. And it gave them comfort to know that they're not the only ones that couldn't wipe their bottom without a wall to lean against. They they were not the only ones who missed out on so much of life. They were not the only ones who were freakishly big. They were not the only ones to get contact dermatitis under the folds of their apron of their stomach. They are not the only ones who who have swelling in their lower extremities, this edema from the obesity and the heart's inability to pump blood and pump things through the system. The bottom line is, is that your hell your ability to identify with people that you are on the same page as in God's hands will save their life. and in saving their life, God will save your life. Let's continue on page 124. It says here, we think each family who has been relie- who, which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires each member of it should be only too willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous out of their hiding places. I don't like to remember that I wrote bad checks. I don't like to remember that I lied when the truth would have seemed would have, would have served me better. I don't like the fact that I engaged in a lot of opinion management rather than telling people who I really was. I was engaged in a public relations campaign to get you to like me, and I call it opinion management. So I wanted to say whatever it was you wanted me to say. If you want me to be a Democrat, I'm. A Democrat. You want me to be a Republican? I'll be a Republican. You want me to, whatever it is, I'm going to do whatever I need to do so that you will like me. Well, today, I still want you to like me, but here is where I am today. And I'm not crying, so you don't have to think I'm crying, though I'm just tearing up because of the allergies. I could see it on the screen, too. Okay, let me just wipe my eyes here. Okay, hold on one second. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I am not crying. Once again, I'm wiping these off. Okay. So um, where was I? Oh, so the bottom line is, is that we have a point of identification that we can use to really, really, really help another person that in God's hands, these things are vital. Any idiot can count the seeds in an apple but only God can count the apples in a seed and your hell your story your background your situation is wasted unless you share it with another person but share it from a platform of being in recovery rather than in the disease and in God's hand while well, we're let Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile. Now, this is what I was gonna tell you and let God tell you through the book. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. Means more than money, more than possessions, more than anything. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others, with it, you can avert death and misery for them. Well, let me add to this. Go back to page 84. You can avert death and misery for you. Very little that I've ever experienced in life is as rewarding as seeing some of you. And I've been here longer than most of you. I've seen People come and go for 44 years, including myself. And for the last 24, I've been completely abstinent, which is fantastic. But when I see people coming in and struggling and struggling and struggling, and then one day you turn around and you're doing a big book workshop in Dallas, Texas, And there's someone coming from God knows where in Texas, hundreds of miles to see you. And when you look at this person, you would never in a million years know that they used to weigh close to 400 pounds because they look normal and they talk and they speak normal. They are there as evidences, evidences. They are there as evidence that this works. Be that beacon for others and the feeling of uselessness and self-pity will temporarily disappear. Every good deed achieves instant immortality. I do not know any other easier or shorter way to make a feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappear than to go help others. You've all heard me say this. You've all heard me say this a million times. Are you looking for God? Do you you not know where God is? Are you in doubt today as to where God resides? You don't have to have a map or a Google quest. I'll tell you exactly where God is. He is in the face of one of his children Look for God in the face of one of his children and you will find him hanging out there every time. I mean, help somebody else. Okay, let's move on. We will will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Now, I was born... Very, very selfish. And I wanted mine. When I first came in here and they told me to go help somebody else, I told them to scratch my butt. Not really, but I wanted to. Or I wanted to tell them to go screw themselves. Who's going to help me? I have deficiencies. I have needs and wants. What about me? Well, I found out something along the way. That kind of self-centered, self-seeking, egomaniac behavior is not going to get me what I want. It never has, and it never will. Because there's something I found out about the world that we live in. There's never going to be enough for me. There isn't enough money. There isn't enough food. There isn't enough anything to satisfy me. When I was a little boy, I learned very easy, very early on to nag my parents for things I wanted. I would nag them for baseball cards. I would nag them for whatever I wanted. And one day I was with my mom and we were going to Lincoln, Western and Lawrence to go to somewhere. I don't remember where we were going, to be honest with you. We were, we were around Lincoln, Western and Lawrence on the north side of Chicago. And I wanted baseball cards and I wanted to try to get Ernie Banks because he was my favorite. And I didn't get Ernie Banks. So I started nagging her for more baseball cards. She bought me baseball cards twice. Twice. She bought me one set of baseball cards at one store and one set of baseball cards at another store. And I wanted more baseball cards because my friend Michael, who lived next door to me, he had Ernie Banks, and I wanted an Ernie Banks card more than I wanted anything. And I'm nagging her for more baseball cards. And she turned around to me and she said, gates, my son. And Azoigetas is Yiddish for, it's always something with you. It's always something with you. You always want something. And there was wisdom in the words because what I learned decades later is that this insatiability that I was born with, this inability to fill a God-sized hole with money or whatever, you know, uh, love or sex or, or, or prestige or whatever that is at the time is an impossible task. It's an absolutely impossible task, and it cannot be done. It is impossible of this earth to really fill that God-sized hole. And trust me, I tried to fill it with food, and I tried to fill it with some other things. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But when it says here, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows, That was a long time coming because I'm gonna let you in on a secret. I don't want you to tell anybody. There's almost 150 of you here today. I don't want you to tell a soul. When I am in my disease, not now, thank God. Thank God, not now. But when I'm in my disease, my greatest joy in life is the misery of other people. And my greatest misery in life is their happiness. I am built immaturely. I am not built as a mature adult. And if I'm really in touch with my feelings, my greatest joy in life is the misery of other people. And my greatest misery is their joy. And my greatest joy is their misery. So I cannot function in a world like that. That is not sustainable today through the program, through the working of these steps, I can be rejoicing over your good fortune and I can mean it. I can mourn with you about something that went wrong and mean it. I can laugh with you. I can cry with you. And I have the ability to care about you. I never had the ability to really care about another person when I'm in the food. I thought I cared about them. I thought I loved my friends and my buddies, but the the feeling that I have in recovery for them is remarkably different than the feeling that I had for them not in recovery in the disease. In my disease, they fulfilled a purpose in my life that was strictly selfish. They fulfilled sort of giving me a membership card to the human race. They hung around with me and I hung around with them and we did certain things and I love them. I would take a bullet for them, but I'm not crying. Hold on. I just got to wipe this because stuff is coming out of my eyes. Okay. Um, The bottom line is now, now that I'm in recovery, I can see the difference that I love them in a way that is deeper and richer and more genuine than anything I felt in the disease. And that's why sponsor after sponsor after sponsor has said to me, the greatest thing you can bring into the world is a recovered you. Because a recovered you becomes an instrument of God's work. A recovered you means that you have something to give to those closest to you. All my life, I wanted a relationship with a female and I was married, but we really weren't really married in the sense that we loved each other. We were really roommates. I married this woman and God bless her I am not knocking her I'm not I'm not here to regale stories of how horrible she was she's not horrible she's absolutely not horrible and God should bless her but please far away from me no I'm kidding but the bottom line is (laughs) okay but all right okay simmer down simmer down okay but the bottom line is still this I wasn't bringing a recovered person in for a lot of that marriage. For some of it, yes, the last uh, 10 years or whatever it was, yes, absolutely. But when I'm in the disease, I'm not available for anything. I think I'm available for something. That's the sad part, but I'm really not. I'm leading very much a double life. And I'm not really emotionally available because it's impossible for me to truly care about anything or anyone when Reese's peanut butter cups and bagels and, and, and uh, McDonald's french fries are ruling my life. That is not a way to live in concert with anyone else, whether it's romantic, whether it's friends, whether it's co-workers, whether it's anything. I can't live in a world and think I'm really available if I'm in the food. So it's very important for me to remember that for me to lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows, what is required of me? What is required of me is at the bottom of page 14. Let's go to the bottom of page 14. If you don't want to, I'll read it for you. But on the bottom of 14, it tells me what I need to do to live in the world. And what does it say? It says bottom of 14. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. He's not talking about what you see today. Well, the principle of this step is honesty and the principle, that's not what he's talking about. That came out after he was dead. Bill Wilson was dead when that stuff came out with, with the, the principle of this and the principle of that. That's because somebody had nothing better to do. Particularly, was it imperative? What's imperative mean, guys? It means important above all else. Particularly, was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me? Do you see a theme here? Working with others, getting out of yourself, looking for God in the face of his children? Do you see a commonality here? Do you see a common denominator here? I hope so, because there is one. And the one common denominator is you have to sponsor, you have to work with others. And you have to take action. Let's continue. Faith without works was dead, he said. And how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, how do you do that? Through work and self-sacrifice for others. He's telling you how to do it. Through work and self-sacrifice for others. I remember early on in my OA career, I had a car. And my, sp- my then sponsor would say, go pick up this person for the meeting. I don't want to pick up this guy. Blah, 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 blah. Just go pick him up. And I remember there was a lady. Uh, she was 18 at the time. She wasn't a lady. She was a girl. And she broke her ankle. And she was a student at Northwestern. And I went to pick her up like, a million days in a row and brought her to the meeting. She couldn't walk. It was dead of winter, freezing cold outside, snow up to your eyeballs in Chicago. And I went and picked her up for a bunch of, she used to sit in the back seat and she'd put her leg up on the seat. To this day, I talk to this person almost every single day. She's married. She has her own family. She lives on the East Coast. We are still very good friends today. We share recovery, we laugh, we cry. It's a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing. And if you want that in your life, it has to start somewhere. And how does it start? It starts with work. Let's continue. Through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I am gonna go up and down and sideways. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. If he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. Let's temporarily go to the top of page 63. And the top of page 63 are the third step promises. And we're going to tie them into the promise that we're reading about uh, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. But come with me to the top of page 63. And this is something else I read every single day. And I'm not going to tell you what to do. But if I was you, I would read this every day, too, without exception, because the top of page 63 reminds me that as much as I would like more baseball cards, I would really love to get an Ernie Banks card. I have all the baseball cards I need today to live a happy life. And there are times because of this reason or that reason, I would like more money or I would like this or I would like that. I go to the top of page 63 and if I'm open to it, it will tell me what I need to know. When we sincerely took such a position, what position is he talking about? That God is the director. I am the, I am, he is the principal. I am his agent. All sorts of remarkable things followed. Remarkable. Oh, wow. We had a new employer. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. He's going to provide what I need if I keep close to him and perform his work well. He doesn't say he's going to provide for me if I'm engaging in self-pity and I'm engaging in isolation and I'm not willing to help anybody and I'm not doing what I need to do. He didn't say that. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. Does that tie into a promise that says we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows? You better believe it does. Now, let's continue on page 63. It says here, as we discovered, we, oh, as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind. Peace of mind for me comes from recovery. I'm not worried that you saw me coming out of McDonald's yesterday because you didn't. I'm not worried about what you saw me buying at the store yesterday. I went to Safeway grocery store yesterday to buy things. If you have a picture of what I bought from my cart, I would suggest you get a life. But if you have a picture of what I got in my cart, there's nothing in there that God would want, would not want me to have. I'll tell you exactly what I bought yesterday: apples, grape tomatoes, blueberries and eggs. There's nothing there that God would not want me to have. There's nothing there that God would want me to have. I was going to buy some asparagus and try to schmutzy it up a little bit. There's a place I like, golly, there's a place I like, but I figured, you know what, I'm not doing that. Oh, hold on one second. (laughs) Okay. Oh, oh, okay. All right. I'm not crying, take it easy, I'm just tearing up here. Okay, all right. As we we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. To be born, to be born again, To have this at my disposal, go back to page 84. To have this at my disposal, oh my God, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. I get down on myself. I get down for this reason or that reason or whatever it is. But you know what? All in all, I got a pretty damn good life. I got a pretty damn good life. And right now, I have a lot to be grateful for. I have a lot to be grateful for. I have a life that works. I can walk three miles a day, six days a week. I have somebody that I'm going to see this week that I'm nuts about. I have so many friends. I have people in this program that I love to death. They love me, I love them. We share our recoveries, we share our lives. This wall behind me, behind Bugs Bunny over here, I got Bugs Bunny here. This wall, it belongs to me. Now, the bank gets their mortgage every month, but this wall belongs to me. That car outside belongs to me. There were banks in Chicago that wouldn't have given me two dimes and a nickel for a solid quarter cash. My credit today is over 800 over 800, I can buy a car and not put down the change in my pocket. I never thought that was going to be possible. Just on my signature alone, I can walk out with a new car. I've done it. I've done it twice. What a rush. What a rush. Wow. When I think back, all right, let's go to the next promise. And then, oh my God, we'll probably be done for the day. Self-seeking will slip away. What is self-seeking? Self-seeking is the action that I take to get my way. Now, I've said this before many times. I'm gonna say it again. The disease is the most exhausting way to live. It's exhausting. I have to write the check whether it's good or not. I have to eat the food. I have to hide from the food, I have to lie about where I've been, I have to lie to you about who I am, I have to do uh, opinion management, image management, I have to tell you I'm a Republican, I have to tell the other person that I'm a Democrat, I have to tell this person that I'm a White Sox fan, I have to tell this person that I'm a Cubs fan. It's exhausting, and it really taxes my memory, because liars have to have good memories Today, I can forget and I'm okay because I don't have to worry about what lie I told you. I'm just honest with you. I'm just honest with you. This is who I am. Every once in a while, somebody sends me a message or an email or a voicemail that says, I'm so glad that you're a no BS kind of person, that you tell it like it is and you shoot straight from the hip. And I have to think, do you have the wrong number? Because I can remember times in my life where that was never the case. That was never, never the case. Self-seeking will slip away that means I don't have to manage the world. I don't have to do anything to get you to like me. You're either going to or you're not. And if you don't, that's okay. I can love you even though you don't like me. That's all right because God loves you and created you as part of this world and that I can accept you. You don't have to like me. That's okay. And I don't mean that chip on my shoulder. I don't mean that, that I want to challenge you to a fight or a quarrel. I mean it because I mean it and that's okay. And so on page 88 of the big book, which is another thing I read every day. It says here, We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works, it really does. I find myself today. Asking a question, what can I do about this situation? And you know what the most beautiful answer I often get is? Nothing. Nothing. Because the more I put my hands on something, and the more I try to control something, the worse my life gets. Oftentimes. When action is necessary, I will know from God to take it. But there are things in my life that I call pending. They're pending. And the best thing I can do is recover. There are three things I can do about any situation. Recover, recover, and recover. Here I am world. This is who I am, warts and all. I am me, love me, benign to me, like me, dislike me, hate me, your problem, not mine, not my problem, not my circus, not my monkeys. In my ego's tempestuous desire to destroy me, if it was Love Harlan Day, and everybody in the world was wearing an I Love Harlan t-shirt, and carrying a sign says, I really love Harlan. And there was one bastard out in outer Mongolia, not wearing that t-shirt, not carrying that sign. I would be on the first plane to outer Mongolia to try to win this guy over. I don't have to live that way anymore. I can sleep at night even though you might be upset with me. Unless you're upset with me for a valid reason that I've harmed you. But there are people that don't like me. There are people that let me know they don't like my approach to the recovery. They don't like my what I say. They don't like how I say it. I'm good with that. I'm gonna be me. I'm sorry if you don't like me. I wish it was, I wish, I hope it doesn't bring you. I hope it doesn't bring you angst. I hope it doesn't give you agina. I hope it doesn't aggravate you. But what I'm going to tell you is it's not going to really aggravate me. I'm really okay with it. That's freedom. That's where you fly. There are two things that drive most fears and most resentments, finance and romance. What's the third thing? I'm worried about what people are going to think of me. You know what I learned a long time ago? You know what most people think of me most of the time? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so that's okay. That's as it should be. I'm not thinking about them either. But when I was in the disease, if you were upset with me, I couldn't sleep through the night. I would drive myself crazy trying to... Think of a way to get back on your good side. I want to be on your good side. I truly do. But you know what? I can't be on everybody's good side. And sometimes poo poo happens. Sometimes poo poo happens. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. That's okay. Self seeking will slip away. And so, what I've learned is. The best thing I can do with whatever energy I have is to help another person and leave all these things to God. I have a daughter. She lives in New York City, Brooklyn to be exact, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And she decided she doesn't like me. She doesn't like me at all. She just thinks I'm a bad dude, bad dad, bad dude, bad person, horrible She doesn't want to have a relationship with me. And it's very, very hurtful. And for a long time, I tried to win her over and I sent things and blah, blah, blah. You know what I do about that relationship today? Nothing. I leave her alone. She's an adult. She's going to be 29 years old in December. She's an adult with two kids and a husband and a home, and she's got her own family and her own situation over there in New York. If she comes to me, when she comes to me, we'll deal with it then. But for now, I leave her alone. And if I can leave my child alone, you can leave different situations alone too. Certain times, with certain people, the best thing I can do is nothing. And when action is called for, God will let me know what to do and when to do it. And so I don't have to control the world. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. There's the understatement of the year. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. And where it changes for me is I see the hand of God more evident in my life than I ever have. I hear his voice more clearly and more often than I ever have. And the attitude specifically an outlook upon life that changes for me, the biggest thing is I no longer loathe myself. I see myself as a valuable person. I no longer wish I was dead. I no longer wish that I was dead. I I, I know I said it twice, but it's so important. And now I don't give up on myself. I sabotaged myself. I pay the price for that every day of my life. I sabotaged my life. I was my own worst enemy. Most of us are. Even normal people often are their own worst enemies. But what I see today is the attitude and outlook upon life that changes for me is I see the municipence. I see the, the 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 benevolence, the kindness, and the love of a powerful God more than I've ever seen it before. And it's more and more every day. There was a song by a group called Spiral Staircase when I was a kid in the 60s. I was born in the 50s, but I'm really a product of the 60s. And the title of the song is, I love you more today than yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow. I need God's help more today than I did yesterday, but not as much as I'm going to need it tomorrow. And why is that specifically? Because I have a progressive permanent fatal disease. And every day my disease gets worse and worse. Hold on. (sighs) Uh, uh, Gets worse and worse and worse every day, whether I'm eating or not. I'm going to say that again, because some of you need to hear that. This disease gets worse every day, whether you're eating or not. A man of... 20, a man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He decided he was not going to touch another drop till he was successful in business. He stayed bone dry for 25 years, pulled out a bottle in his carpet slippers and was dead within four years. Did his disease stay the same because he didn't touch a drop? No, it got worse. So it is yours. So the attitude and outlook that's part of my life that changes is I see God is great. And I see myself as good and worthy of being one of you. I never saw myself as another bozo on the bus. In my mind's eye, I was a separate entity, more unfortunate, more put upon more of a victim, which just ties into what we were just talking about, more of a victim than the other kids. The other kids had great parents, I had crappy parents. The other kids had came from homes and had money and had color TVs and we didn't. Poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. So I saw myself in my mind's eye as an unfortunate victim of the world that I was born into. I am not an unfortunate victim of the world that I was born into. I am a valuable person, not more valuable than you, but equal to you. I never could see myself as equal. I could look up to you. I could look down at you, but I couldn't look at you. I have the ability today to look at the world. It says in step five and it alludes to it in nine, we can look the world in the eye. Five and nine are the great emancipators. Five and nine are vital because they break down those feelings of uniqueness, that terminal uniqueness that will kill me. So the attitude and outlook upon life that changes is, I see you as human, but I also see me as human. I can now honestly tell you that not only do I believe this but I see myself acting in accordance with this and I see myself being kind and loving to the weak the wrong and the unknowing and helpful of the striving and I see that in my life I will be all of those things I had no patience for fools. What did Shakespeare say? He doesn't suffer fools well. If you were just wrong, then you were just stupid and I wrote you off as an idiot. I can't live that way anymore and stay out of the food. I don't care who you are. You have value in the greater good, the greater life that we are now born into. So I see myself as part of humanity and I see God as a necessary part in my life. And God is there when I call his name. He never has failed me. He didn't give me the Ernie Banks baseball card that I wanted so long ago on that summer day in Chicago so many years ago. But I'm alive. And I have a life that works. And I'm grateful for everything about my life today, but especially my recovery. And I'm especially grateful for the 150 of you that came this morning to listen to me. Why would anybody listen to me? But 150 of you did. So I'm very, very grateful. So we're going to pick this up again with our fear of people and of economic insecurity. And fear of people and of economic insecurity is going to be uh, next week. That's a favorite of mine. I'm just going to write that down. Uh, I'm going to write down page 84, okay? And I'm going to write down fear of people. But before I turn this over, I want to tell you That we're going to open this up for questions and answers, but no math, no allergy medicine recommendations because I can't take anything with aspirin in it. I'm on blood thinner. I'm on a drug called Zarelto, which thins my blood. And if I introduce aspirin into my system, it thins the blood even more. And that could be extremely dangerous for me. So I can't take it. So you can stop texting me. I'm getting about 82,000 text messages with everything from this pill to that pill to God knows what. I can't do those things because there's aspirin in there and I already take a blood thinner. Okay. No math under any circumstances, no math and no food. Okay no food questions okay uh sue or nancy or um